Hey guys, and welcome back to Thoughts with Aaron. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, I know it's been a second since you've heard from me, and I have to apologize. It's been awfully busy, and uh, where where did this summer go? You know, it's just, it's turning, we're getting closer to winter, and trying to, it's getting, staying just as busy as it was, but uh, yeah, anyway, doing the best I can. We're still at... Uh, I'm still at fire camp, and so you guys just we're trying to do our best to bring you relevant and uh, content every week. So um, I appreciate you guys sticking it out with us, and uh, I don't know how many of a episode this is going to be, but uh, we're going to do our best. I have had some time here lately as this camp is winding down to, uh, to do some reading and, and consider some topics for us to talk about on here. And there is one that kind of stood out and we're just going to get into it today. Uh, before I start, we're going to get, before we really get into the meat and potatoes of it, uh, I'm going to give a backstory and we're going to jump back and forth between the old Testament and new Testament cover this. The main topic is Jesus has always been there. Okay. But to explain that, I want to give a backstory first out of Exodus 33, and this is Moses. Uh, we're going to be talking about Moses here right off the bat. So Exodus chapter 33, Moses would put up a tent outside the camp and speak with God, okay? And we're, I'm going to read a little snippet out of verse 11, and we'll go from there. And so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. The reason I'm explaining that is because it it says there in verse 11 that they would speak face to face, much like a man speaks to a friend. Moving on to verse 12, I'm going to read 12 through 17. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom will, will send with me. Yet you have said... I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, so that I may know you. And this is becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, recognizing and understanding your ways more clearly. And that I may find grace and favor in your sight, and consider also that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest by bringing you and the people into the promised land. And Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with me, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight? Is it not by your going with us, so that we are distinguished, your people and I, from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked. For you have found favor, loving kindness and mercy, in my sight, and I have known you personally by name. Moses is pleading with God for himself and for the Israelites for God's presence to remain with him. If it wasn't he, it, I mean, okay, so I, let me back up. If it wasn't, he would rather not go to the promised land. So he's pleading for God's presence to remain with him. That's how, you know, this shows us his love and humbleness towards God, which reminds us that we should all strive and yearn for God's presence in our lives, much like Moses did. Verses 20 through 23. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So after all that, uh, before I continue on here, uh, Moses goes through that and is, is begging for his, uh, God's presence to, to remain with them and the Israelites. Moses says to, if you back up in verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. So Moses wants his presence so bad, he wants to see God's glory. 
Okay? So when we get down to verse 20, he says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place beside me, and you shall stand there on a rock. And while my glory is passing by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and protectively cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. That one verse there in 20, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. That word live in this context was translated from the Hebrew word shaya, which is also derived from chai, which means life. So God using this word in the context he did was actually meaning revived and strengthened by natural means. It doesn't necessarily mean physical death. So to put it, to put it simply, one cannot see the face of God and continue as if everything was normal. His power and glory are just too great for our minds and moral bodies to handle. We'd be changed so dramatically from seeing God's face that we wouldn't be able to be relatable. So God pretty much tells Moses this, that if he saw his face, that he would be changed so dramatically on all levels that no one could relate to him anymore. And isn't that some real power? He needed, he needed Moses to be relatable, that his power is so great that just seeing the back of God caused Moses to collapse in worship, okay? We need to remain relatable to further his kingdom. So why do you go into all that, you ask? Jesus, that's why. He is the mediator. He is flesh and blood, human, and he is relatable. He came to this earth in the flesh and experienced everything we experience on a daily basis. So to kind of cover that a little bit, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to read 7 through 18. It's going to be kind of long, okay? Now, if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones, which is the covenant of the law, which led to death because of sin, came with such glory and splendor that the Israelites were not able to look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, a brilliance that was fading, how will the ministry of the Spirit, the new covenant, which allows us to be Spirit-filled, fail to be even more glorious and splendid. For if the ministry that brings condemnation, which is the old covenant and the law, has glory, how much more does glory overflow with the ministry that brings righteousness? He's talking about the new covenant, which declares believers free of guilt, sets them apart for God's special purpose. Indeed, what had glory, the law, in this case no longer has glory because of the glory that surpasses it, the gospel. Verse 11. For if that law, which fades away, came with glory how much more must we or must that gospel which remains and is permanent abide in glory and splendor since we have such a glorious hope and confident expectation we speak with great courage and we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the end of the glory which was fading away but in fact their minds were hardened for they had lost the ability to understand for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed, here it is, only in Christ. But to, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil of blindness lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns in repentance to faith to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, which is emancipation from bondage and true freedom, and we all, with unveiled face, continually seeking as in an, a mirror of the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Jesus is what lifts the veil to see God's glory more clearly. Okay? So look at John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right, do what Marshall normally does here. Reading out of a study Bible, I'm going to read this subtext at the bottom. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus is the way to the Father. He is also the truth and the life. As truth, he is the revelation of God. As life, he is the source of our very beings. I want to back up a little bit more in, in the book of John there to chapter 6. And I want to read in... I, I actually I have it wrote down here that I wanted to... Um, I want to look at what Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 46. But actually, I want to start in verse 41. Okay, and give a he Jesus at this point is explaining to the Jews his reason for being here. Okay, so chapter six, verse 41 in, in the book of John. Now the Jews murmured and found fault with him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They kept saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now have the arrogance to say, I have come down out of heaven? So Jesus answered, stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, which is giving him the desire to come to me, and I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who was with the Father and who is from God. He alone has seen the Father. He's pretty much saying we're we're starting to transition into the meat and potatoes of this episode today of Jesus always being there and the the way to God is through Jesus. Bottom line here is Jesus is fully human. He is also fully God. The reason for him coming and his sacrifice is to provide us a way, the only way we can enter boldly into the glorious presence of the Father. And this is stated in Hebrews. Let me find it here. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, believers, since we have confidence and full freedom to enter the holy place, the place where God dwells, by means of the blood of Jesus. Okay? Jesus has always been there. Yes, he came in the flesh, but was and has been present from the beginning. As we mentioned before, it is only through him that we mortal humans can come to the Father. Okay? We're going to get into some stories here. I'm going uh, going to encourage you to read through these stories for yourself. But there are several instances riddled throughout the Old Testament where it is believed that Jesus appeared, interacted, and guided people throughout time. So before we get into this, you're going to hear the phrase, the angel of the Lord. If you really break down the context in which the angel of the Lord is used throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that it points towards the title of Jesus at that time. So, because Jesus is the only way to the Father, it makes sense that he would show up throughout history like this. Now, I don't I don't have the time to hit on all the stories, but I want to highlight the ones that stand out to me, and there are, there are others that may stand out to you, okay? Um, real quickly, there's some that I'm going to hit on real quick. And then there's some that will spend just a little bit more time, you know, because uh, because they did stand out to me and they're really cool stories. But go back, <clears throat> go back and read them 
and because uh, they're, they're just, they're just really cool. All right. So the first one that I want to kind of touch on is comes out of Genesis 16. Let me get to it here. I have so many, so many different uh, little bookmarks in here. Yeah, here we go. So the uh, angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, and in verse 13, she has come to this conclusion of, uh, and it suggests that she has an interaction with Jesus based on what she said here in verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees. For she said, Have I not even here in the wilderness remained alive after seeing him who sees me with understanding and compassion? So she's she's asking herself there. She she has recognized that she has seen, she has looked upon the face of God uh, to her understanding. But we've already gone through that. You cannot look upon the, f- the face of God. So the only explanation there is that she had an interaction with Jesus at this time. Now, so I, I told you I was going to cover this stuff real quickly, some of these ones, but my favorite one is, is going to come next. And it's comes, it comes out of Genesis chapter 18. It's, uh, it, it's almost undeniable that it was Jesus. Okay. And it's about Abraham seeing the three strangers. Okay. Now the Lord, chapter 18. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre in Hebron while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. I'm sorry if I'm screwing up these words, um, <laughs> but it happens, okay? When he raised his eyes and looked up, behold, three men were standing a little distance from him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant without stopping to visit. Please let a little water be brought by one of my servants, and you may wash your feet and recline and rest comfortably under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread to refresh and sustain you. After that, you may go on, since you have come to your servant. And they replied, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, get ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and bake cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and brought a calf, tender and choice. And he gave it to the servant to butcher, and then he hurried to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf in which he prepared and set it before the men. And he stood beside them under the tree while they ate. Then they said to them, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There, in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. I'm not going to go on any further, but how cool would that be? You know, it's speculated that at least one of these three men were Jesus. And, you know, doesn't that kind of make you, we're not supposed to have jealousy, but doesn't that make you kind of jealous that would you want to sit down and, you know, with Jesus and have a meal with him? Let me wash your feet. There was a reason that Abraham, when he saw him, he immediately recognized him and fell to the ground and worshiped him and wanted to uh, wash his feet. There, You know, it's, it's almost, like I said earlier, it's almost undeniable that it was Jesus. Moving on to Genesis 22. And I'm sure that you guys, if you are familiar with the Bible stories, and this is a very popular story you heard as a kid, if you haven't heard it, um, Abraham being tested was asked to sacrifice a son. And he already came to the realization that God could raise raise people from the dead. So Genesis chapter 22, it was the angel who stopped. It was the angel of the Lord 
who stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son. And you can see that in um, verse 11 of 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He answered, Here I am. Lord said, Do not reach out with the knife in your hand against the boy and do nothing to harm him. For now I know that you fear God with reverence and profound respect, since you have not withheld from me your son, your only son of promise. Promise. Sorry. <laughs> so read through that whole story. Okay. You'll you'll quickly realize that Jesus was interacting. I'm gonna move on to Genesis chapter thirty two. And I I had to sit and read this a few times. It really makes it sound this is a it's a very intriguing story. And the title of it in, in the Bible here is, is Jacob Wrestles. Verse thirty. So Jacob so Jacob named the place Peniel, the face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has not been snatched away. He saw Jesus, who is our, our way to God, which is why he can say he saw God face to face. And I want to read again the subtext at the bottom. And so thirty two twenty four. Check this out. So I'll read the first, I'll read the verse and then I'll read the subtext. So Jacob was left alone and a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. They make this sound like it's a, it, it's hard and I really don't know. They make it sound like it's a physical interaction. So it, it's interesting. And the subtext at the bottom of that verse, for that verse, some believe that the man who wrestled with Jacob was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Others believe the man was the angel of God. In any case, Jacob wrestled with a manifestation of God. And because of God's mercy, he survived. And then the verse that I read, verse 30, the dramatic name face of God given to the location shows the awesome nature of the encounter. Here, God's messenger in human form was the same as God himself, which, you know, what, who else could that be? Jesus, a fact which Jacob recognized to his amazement in Hebrew thought the penalty for seeing God's face to face was death. Yet Jacob had passed through such an experience and had survived. So, I mean, that, that all points, that all points to, to Jesus. Okay. All right. So getting back to Moses in Exodus three, we're, we're making our way back to that in the burning bush. Okay. It's, uh, the voice that revealed to Moses that he was in a, you know, so the voice revealed to Moses that he was in a very profound statement. I am. So that's in verses, uh, let's look here, 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father's ancestors has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is capitalized. And he said, You shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Jesus tells us plain as day in John chapter 8. As he is speaking with the Jewish leaders, let me look this up here. John chapter 8. Um, as he is speaking with the Jewish leaders, that he is the great I am. So to put this into context, we have to start at verse 48 through 50 and go to 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right when we say you are Samaritan and that you have a demon and are under its power? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. However, I am not seeking glory for myself. There is one who seeks glory for me and judges those who dishonor me. 
I assure you and most solemnly say to you, if anyone keeps my word by living in accordance with my message, he will indeed never, ever see and experience death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon and are under its power. Abraham died and also the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never, ever taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is worth nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. Yet you do not know Him, but I know Him fully. If I said I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham greatly rejoiced to see my day, my incarnation. See, that's interesting. He saw it and was delighted. Then the Jews said to him, You are not even fifty years old. And you claim to have seen Abraham? You see, you see where we're going with this? Jesus replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus concealed himself and left the temple. That was the last last little bit of it there in 59. But that, uh, how how crazy is that, huh? That he, he, he pretty much just, we could, we could end this whole episode right here. And just how plainly Jesus puts it. But I also want to look at the first chapter of John and the way John was inspired to write about Jesus. Okay? And the title of this the title of this is the deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. He was continually existing in the beginning, co eternally with God. All things were made and came into existence through him, and without him not even one thing was made that has come into being. In him was life, and the power to bestow life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines on the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, or overpower it, or appropriate it, or absorb it, and it is unreceptive to it. If all of this is not proof enough that Jesus is the only way, and that he has been there for us from the beginning. I encourage you guys to go and read, research these stories, and the others that I'm about to touch on briefly for yourself. For the sake of time, I, I'm not. I'm going to quickly go over the some other places in time where Jesus showed up. Um, but like I said, go read these stories. Go research them. I that's, you know, I there's nothing to hide. It it's, it plainly states it in here. And so I want to back up. Exodus 13, verse 21, also explained in uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 19, Jesus was the cloud and the pillar of fire. Exodus chapter 17, he was the rock that provided water for the Israelites, and rightly so, as he is our solid rock, our firm foundation that will never fail us. Moving on to Judges chapter 6, like I said, go back and read this stuff. You'll see for yourself. Jesus appeared and talked to Gideon before commanding him to fe- to defeat the Midians, or Mid- Midians, however you pronounce that. Judges 13, Jesus appears to tell Samson's mother he is going to have a child. Or, sorry, uh, he appears to Samson's mother um, to tell Samson's mother she is going to have a child. And that was Judges chapter 13. So here we're going to... We're going to cover this a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's vision saw Jesus sitting on the throne and ultimately forgives him of his sins. Which stand to prove that salvation through Christ is a gift not received through works. So I encourage you, just go read through 
Isaiah chapter 6, because I want to move on real quick to uh, back to John, okay, chapter 1241. Because after reading Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to then go to John 12, because it's going to confirm that it was Jesus speaking to Isaiah of the day he had, uh, he'd take on flesh to die for our sins. That was John chapter 12, verse 41. Okay. All right. Oh, joy. The, the joys of fire camp and people coming and knocking at your door. Where were we? We were uh, talking about go read through Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, and then after reading that, go to John chapter 12. Verse 41, and it's going to confirm that Jesus is speaking to Isaiah on the day of the day he'd take on flesh and die for our sins. So here we go. Chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. And that's kind of, it's just a short little snippet and you'll understand it better. But of course, for the sake of time, we're not going to read through all of Isaiah chapter six, but it confirms it here in John as well. Okay. All right. Lastly, Probably not last overall, okay, but one of my favorite stories, and this story is the inspiration for the name of my forge, which if you didn't know, I am a, a blacksmith, and uh, it comes out of Daniel chapter 3, and uh, let's see here, I should have that one marked, but who knows, I may not anymore, and, oh, I went all the way, okay, and it's starting in verse 19 through 30. It's the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got thrown into a furnace as a sentence of death for not worshiping false gods. While in the furnace, which was heated seven times hotter than usual, it was so hot that the men that took them to throw them in died. The king saw four men standing in the furnace or in the fire unharmed. Let's read that real quick. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and his facial expression changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then he gave the command that the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded a certain strong uh, men in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these uh, three men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their turbans, and their other clothes, and were thrown into the midst of the furnace of, the bla of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was extremely hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, looked and was astounded, and he jumped up and said to his counselors, Did we not throw three men who were tied up into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered, Look, I see four men untied, walking around in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Of course, at this time, the reason was that they got thrown into this furnace was for not worshiping false gods. And so that's why he said, it's like the son of the gods. It was why Nebuchadnezzar said that. Um, it's not certain, but it makes perfect sense to me that this was Jesus as well in the fire with them, especially after what he, what King Nebuchadnezzar said, but I will let you read on from there to see for yourselves. So go back, read that stuff. And, uh, wow, that was a, uh, that was supposed to be, this is supposed to be a mini episode. <laughs> that was a lot to go through in a short amount of time. And all that to say, Jesus has always been there. 
He will continue to be there for us. And guess what? He's coming back in the flesh to eternally be with those of us who put our faith and trust in him. I hope you guys enjoyed this little episode. And I just, I hope, I want you guys, as I keep saying, go back and read that stuff for yourself. It's it's captivating. And it's just some, it's just some really cool history. Jesus is, um, I, I can't wait for the day that we ourselves, like Abraham, can, can sit down and have dinner with Jesus or, um, you know, because he's human, he's relatable. He's, he wants to be our friend. So, uh, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, give us a good rating and review on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and like, and subscribe us on YouTube. You know, if you don't want to download anything, YouTube's a great, uh, place to go and just listen to our quick episodes. If you guys have any questions, comments, prayer requests, any of that, feel free, reach out to us, undauntedpursuit at gmail.com and check out our website, undauntedpursuit.podbean.com. Thanks again for listening, guys, and uh, we'll get back into this normalcy. Um, Normal episodes have more exciting guests on for you guys to listen to. Bear with us. It's been a busy summer, and we hope to see you guys again on here next week. We'll catch you guys later. Bye.